I'm your moderator. My name is Michael Calore. I, I work at Wired, where I'm the product reviews editor. I would like everybody on the panel to uh, give a quick introduction. Tell us who you are, who you represent, <coughs> and why your expertise is here behind a microphone today. So why don't we start all the way down at the end? <laughs> I'm uh, Bob Brown. I'm at Avid Technology, also known as DigiDesign sometimes. And I'm the uh, audio-video collaboration architect. And so my primary role at the company is to uh, investigate technologies, uh, prototype, and figure out how to get our products and other third-party products uh, collaborating and working better together. And so I've, I've spent lots of time uh, prototyping stuff and thinking about it and uh, working tend to be more in the high end because of our products are, are tend to be in the high end, but uh, working with various uh, music and movie studios and getting them working better together. I'm uh, Dan Walton. I'm representing Retronyms. Uh, I suppose I'm here because I've worked a lot on the uh, protocols and standards that iOS uses to move music around, like audio copy, audio paste, and uh, the uh, I worked I worked on the WISP protocol a little bit, which is Korg's way of getting. Um, two apps to sort of sync together so that you can collaborate um, and write music with people using your iPhone or iPad. Hi, my name is Ian Golden. I run djtechtools.com. It's uh, the largest online DJ community and my responsibility is building a collaborative and exciting uh, community of people who love DJs and uh, music software and building tools that allow people to play with music uh, either by themselves or, or with others. <coughs> Sorry. If, if you think it's, it's cold in here, um, enjoy, because it's going to be super warm in the afternoon. Um, I know that from previous years. Uh, I'm Henrik. I work for SoundCloud. And of course, we're all about making sounds and, and music social, which is working great. But we really think uh, it can become even bigger and greater if uh, people can collaborate and participate in creating sounds as well. So one of the main things we're doing there is that we're trying to connect every app and tool that can create sounds um, and have them shared via SoundCloud. And my, my job is to make that happen. Uh, my name is Jeannie. I work for a company called Smeal. We make music apps on the iPhone. And part of it, that um, our goal is actually, one of the visions is that everybody is creative and everybody is creative audially. And how do we um, think about apps and music creation to allow people to create music together that normally they would not have thought of. Um, so targeted towards people who never would have thought that they could sing together or play piano even. So, All right. Thank you, everybody. Um, we're going to talk for a little while, and then we're going to open up the floor to questions at the end. So if you have a question, write it down, and uh, we'll, we'll field some questions for like the last uh, 10 or 15 minutes. Once again, this is the collaboration panel. And I would like to kick off the discussion by asking uh, one, of the, one of the biggest problems or I guess pain points around collaboration right now is uh, the issue of standards, whether it be standards for uh, file types that people are using to trade music back and forth or platform standards where everyone's agreeing to work within a specific app within a specific platform. Uh, I know we have several standards experts here, so I'll just throw it out there. Um, what do you guys see as where uh, where do you see that we are with standards right now and where do you think we're going is that a good place is that a bad place what needs to improve on uh, the um, iOS uh, standard the audio copy and paste things um, I'm really ha happy with kind of 
where we are now, and basically it allows any music app, it's a op totally open standard, to publish its the sounds that it makes so that any other app can, uh, can use it. It's much like just a simple WAV file format, but the difference is that any of the applications that are compatible with that format are kind of listed as part of the standard. So it isn't simply just this file format that you throw out there. It's it, it sort of the standard itself kind of leads you into other products. And, and this kind of helps the compatibility because it, it encourages people to sort of, as they're developing it, try it out with these different apps and make sure everything's working. I mean, we've got a long way to go though because right now that's just moving audio around. It doesn't move the metadata and the tempo data and, and, and multi-tracks in a way that's it's very usable. But you know, for, for casual use on your couch, it's, I, think, I think it's a good start. Yeah, but the cool thing is that nowadays, you know, even though the, the, the standard is basically the only standard that is, that is really widespread, it's of course the, 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 wave, the PCM or the wave format and, and the sound itself. But the cool thing is today that you can just drag that into any app and the app will figure out, you know, tempo and, and whatnot and make sort of quality use of that. So, and, and from that perspective, we reached a point where actually collaboration can happen without those fancy sort of metadata standards and so on, I think. Yeah, kind of future thinking. I mean, if you look at the various apps and DAWs, whether it's uh, Pro Tools or Logic or Nuendo or GarageBand or uh, any of the various apps, I think kind of the next step I would love to see, you know, this is more thinking a few, down, a few years down the line, is actually having uh, web APIs for manipulating data so that you can actually have your Pro Tools session up in the cloud and you could actually pluck individual tracks and data out so that you could start linking these various uh, uh, iOS or Android apps and other web-based products so that I could actually shoot my tracks from my online Pro Tools session to my online GarageBand or directly into the app and allowing third-party developers instead of necessarily opening up the specific file format but allowing APIs saying if you go in and you can you know interrogate what the tracks are what the instruments are and pull that data out and pull the MIDI data out and then bring it into your own and so kind of putting the burden back on the developers uh, to start manipulating the data and you know creating kind of open standards via like all these various REST APIs that we can go in and upload and download stuff to SoundCloud. Like why can't I start poking into uh, the data of my GarageBand or my Logic uh, uh, projects? Because right right now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have to be sort of a sort of an expert at how that stuff works as a user in order to do that, right? There's nothing that the apps are doing for you. Yeah, definitely. But if you if if, the com if various companies start opening these things up via web APIs, then you can have third-party developers start creating tools to manipulate that data, like you know the guys at Smule are really great at building uh, you know, fun apps. Now, if your apps could automatically you know, fish that data off of somebody's website, um, I mean, that's what you see a lot of these hackathons are doing. Even, you know, the hackathon the, you know, yesterday, people are taking web APIs and creating new interesting tools um, and creating new apps for SoundCloud and such. And so, you know, creating more rich metadata that's available um, from these products. Uh, that's actually, I mean, that's a really interesting point. I think for, for us, as well, what we found is actually even ourselves internally, we, within our apps, we haven't followed a standard format <laughs> with our, our music apps and the content that's been created. And so that's actually something that even internally that we are trying to make sure that, for example, uh, content that's created with the Ocarina app, it's a, uh, it turns your iPhone into a flute could actually mesh with something that's played on a magic piano app that turns into piano. So even ourselves, we're trying to figure out that standard format. I think one of the things that we focus on is initially, we had to create experience for the users 
that almost for the users, they don't really care what the format is, they just want it to work. They don't care what button, it's like, we went through several interfaces of like trying to figure, oh wow, we could create this pro interface where users could adjust the volumes and realize that users just want a one push button that says make it sound better or <laughs> make it work. And so um, part of it also that we ourselves have to, I think the point is that the underlying format has to, we ourselves have to have standard format and then almost then create the tools and experiences for the user that, that hides it almost. Actually, but that, that's a good point. I think there's something beautiful in you know getting, for instance, if you're just getting a sound file, there's something nicely about that it's sort of locked down. You cannot go in and tweak thousand parameters and sort of alter that. You have that to work with, and I think that's good for creativity that it's not too many options. <laughs> so right now the standard is still Wave. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, and and uh, general MIDI. Don't yeah. forget. Don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know, perhaps we should ask the audience if we're getting sort of super technical here right away, uh, digging into APIs and formats or... No, they all look happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you want us to nerd out about formats or... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I d I'm not an expert on standards, but I do know a lot about music performance. I've spent 16 years DJing and I, I run a very large DJ site. And I can speak to maybe the, the Avid guys and say what we would like is a standard where when we're performing music, we could be using parts of that music. We would love for the major companies to start creating an open standard that's not proprietary that would give uh, music performers the ability to access uh, parts of other people's music. Mm -hmm. I feel yeah, like that's... I think, I think that the musicians want to publish their music in more than just stereo tracks. They want to they wanna make their stems and their components and their elements available to people like, like Ian, but... But um, you know, it's just a rights issue, and, and knowing that the the um, mechanism for them to be able to do that, like commercially, isn't available. But they want. I mean, if you talk to them, if you talk to the, you know, professional Grammy-winning artists, they they want, they love the phenomenon that that can happen, and they love that, um, you know, putting their stuff out there and hearing people remix it and DJ it and do different things with it. But they they don't have the the way of doing it, they don't have the mechanism to do it. Do you uh, think that this is something that Creative Commons could eventually solve? No, I think it's it's up to the the labels to get bent or whatever. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's up to the labels to sort of open it up a little bit more. But I mean, that <laughs> movement, that movement, the remix sort of movement is already happening at a large scale. Right. Uh, I mean, it's just bouncing out these stems and, and letting. Yeah, you know, it's, so it's, it's not a technical problem. It's just that there isn't, you know, the the music label doesn't allow the artist to release their music in yeah. that way. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. It's actually very, sometimes there's actually clashing interests <laughs> that we found where a label would be, uh, artists would be fine, but the labels or the publishers are, the, are the ones the, that are. The artists want to do it, right. the audience wants to hear it, and uh, musicians like, you know. But how cool like would it be then it, if so. we could take all these millions of people that can, you know, find the next beat maker or the next, you know, singer or whatever that is right. not a record label artist who right. can create these things that guys like Ian can perform with and so on. Yeah. And that's collaboration. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, this is sort of already happening uh, in, in, a, uh, in an illegal way where people just snatch things and remix them and then post their ideas to YouTube and things like that. And, you know, the reactions vary, obviously. Um, some artists are very cool with it. Some artists immediately, you know, file a takedown notice. Right. Right, I, I think a lot of a lot of the artists do want to do it and do want to hear it, and 
want that kind of thing happening. And the ones that don't, yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know what to say, but at least when people want it to happen, it should happen. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the thing that's so frustrating. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm sorry. What were you gonna say? No, I was just thinking that I think the sort of the logic behind it is that if you actually, if you are an artist with the tools and the knowledge to sort of put out tracks, that are also people like that. Then it's like fine. Those are the people who already make music. Sort of the the question about you know why collaboration. I think is that it's so damn hard to make music, like to come up with ideas, to compose, to to record. I think and and sort of arrange it and mix it and share it and be your own label or whatever. I mean that that process is so complicated. But there's so many people who wants to participate by you know singing their song or making a beat or throwing out an idea or performing with sort of pre-made content and so on and that's w if we can enable so that they can in a social context come together that then everyone can be a creator i think mm. um i think the barrier to this uh we were discussing this earlier is that um right now everybody needs everybody who's going to be involved in a collaborative project where there's deep collaboration happening there has to be an agreement upon a particular platform to begin with. Like, we're going to be working in GarageBand. We're going to be working in Pro Tools, you know. Um, do you think this is true, or uh, are, we, are we getting away from that? Is this somewhere we're going to be for a while? I think that's something that software makers are thinking that people want or need, sort of. Mm. I mean, in the, like, you can collaborate and write, you know, sheet music. It's a great way to, uh, standard that uh, translates over any app, basically. Mm. Yeah, or I mean, someone someone can write the lyrics in Notepad and send it over exactly. to a guitarist to play some stuff into GarageBand, and then a, a engineer can take that recording and make it, you know, something more, uh, you know, something more mastered or whatever. Yeah. So I, I don't think that collaboration has to be all upon the same tool. In fact, I mean, alternate tools is what creates, you know, great great music and great creations. It's it's it, people coming from different places and bringing their their favorite tool to the party and putting it all together to form something new. But the question is then, how can you let people, like me for instance, I like to talk and sing and so on, but I hate sitting down writing lyrics. But where, where can I find, you know, where, where can I find this and how can we put this lyrics writer in a context where, okay, you write the lyrics, I'm gonna rap it for you. And then this guy is gonna make a beat. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is like, can we hear this? Can we hear this? <laughs> Yeah, you open up a SoundCloud room for us to all up, uh, upload our, at the end of the day, we can all get together. Uh, so, you know, one possible solution that, that was thrown out, um, I think it was Bob that said it was the, uh, the web APIs and having the ability to, um, you know, to allow different apps to interface with one another through the cloud. Uh, is there, is bandwidth still a problem? Can we do that now or? I think, I mean, bandwidth is really, you know, comes up with the web uh, with wave files. I mean, that's the the biggest chunk of data. The metadata tends to be pretty small, so I don't think that's really a problem. I mean, especially when you think about SoundCloud, you're uploading and downloading, you know, you know, petabytes of data, you know, across your, all your servers. So I don't really think that the bandwidth issue is is uh, uh, a real one. You know, SoundCloud's kind of uniquely positioned, and even I've, I've talked to folks at uh, Box and you send it and Dropbox and a lot of those file sharing companies, you know, they want to get their hooks into various apps, um, whether they're desktop, um, web, or, or uh, mobile apps, to start, you know, transferring data more easily so that I can push data from my Pro Tools rig into SoundCloud and then pull that into, say, GarageBand. But the other thing they're doing that's interesting is they're putting, you know, custom uh, uh, file, uh, 
parsers in there. So they want to be able to actually poke into a Pro Tools session file and extract information. And so that gets kind of interesting. You can think about SoundClouds. Like instead of just storing WAV files, you could store all sorts of interesting files and be a platform for kind of, you know, aggregating and mixing uh, you know, different file formats. So that'd be kind of another kind of not going the web API route, but going the, you know, having companies like Box or SoundCloud start, you know, working with third parties to mash these things together, or build tools to mash them together easier. Mm. Well, you know, we were, um, we were also talking about how you get people to get involved in a project. You know, if you have an idea, you have a song that you want to write and you're looking for collaborators, what are the ways that you can go out there and find somebody? And um, this is particularly for offline collaboration. This is, you know, you're working on something in your house and then now you're ready to put it out there in the world and see if there's anything else that people can add to it. And um, Ian has on, on uh, DJ Tech Tools has a very active uh, forum, a user forum where people have sort of started organically collaborating with one another, people posting uh, ideas and then having other musicians come along and add things to it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. One of the things that surprised me most about our community forum was how active and how interactive people were. Um, it was really just a portal for, for the people to have more of an interactive discussion. Um, our site is two things. Number one, it's a blog, so we talk about technology. And number two, it's this forum. And the forum was the place for people to talk to us instead of us just talking to them, which I think is really important if you're actually going to engage your audience. Um, so what surprised me was how much they sort of organically sprouted up these centers of, of, of interaction. Specifically, one guy would say, hey, let's make a mix. You do the first 10 minutes. I'll do the next 10 minutes. This guy will do the next 10 minutes. Um, we saw many, many parties spring up. Hey, I'm in uh, Tampa, Florida. I want to throw a party that's centered around MIDI controllers. Okay, I'm a promoter. Okay, I'll do the sound. And um, con consistently, people wanted to work with each other and collaborate because that's, I think, uh, brings a lot of meaning to what we do. Instead of just sitting in front of your computer working on music, you're, you're really um, personally interacting with other people who share uh, the same passion. And um, I, 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 when you said this idea of like, how do you find people to work with and make music with, I, I immediately see that like telephone pole with the like, you know, bassist wanted yeah. kind of thing. And, and, that, and that whole paper uh, and, and sort of traditional thing. Rad against I, the lyrics. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm sure, I'm, sure that, I'm sure that like today uh, there's a way that musicians are doing that online. I don't know what it is. But so I actually is it, wonder. Is it Craigslist? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, oh. I, I wonder a little about those. I mean, I, when I moved to the Bay Area about 12 years ago, I went on SF Musician and, you know, looked, I was bassist, so I was looking for bands, looking for bassists, and got hooked up with one that way. But, you know, there's been, a, there's a lot of companies out there that already do this. I mean, there's eSession, which does kind of high end professional. Um, you know, I'm a professional bassist. I want to work with a, you know, whatever producers or you know, just kind of a, a kind of a, a Craigslist there. I mean, GrooveZoo is an up and coming one. Uh, you know, like DJ Tech Tools. Um, you know, Riff World from Sonoma Wireworks, and you know, each of them have a different twist. But you know, I actually, you know, one of the questions that always comes up at Avid is we say, you know. Do people, are people really looking for new musicians to play with? I mean, to a certain degree, like a band will say, oh, I need a new drummer, our, our drummer quit or whatever. But, you know, how great of a th phenomenon is that, that, you know, I want to find some other random musician I want to play with versus kind of the people that are already in my own community. And, and so I'd just be curious of people's thoughts on like, you know, 
are people really looking for other musicians to play with, or is it really more about kind of creating these little isolated? But aren't there new colors? I, I I know Dan is a fan of thinking that you know. I think the problem is that music software and sort of digital products fell in the category of being this sort of studios, virtual studios almost, instead of being sort of instruments or parts of performances. And, and you know, if we can create that where, and I think the iPad is, the iPad platform is great for that where, you know, I just want to make a beat or I want to play a piano or mm. a magic piano even. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just plugging your products. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I know you're going to buy well, me lunch after. Is there some agreement to plug <laughs> everyone else's products? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to see Actually, well, I was going to say, I think that um, maybe initially, I, was, I think that the word collaboration maybe is actually um, too high barrier, high tech of a word. I think when we think about, when I think collaboration, if I define very literally, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, we're talking about it. We're, I, need to f I need to know the tools I'm using. I need to know who or what part I need. When maybe I, just a, as a normal user, I just want to participate in, in a music experience. I, j I just want to um, maybe sing together or just want to play a jam together. This is like the experience that I that you see. For example, karaoke is probably maybe the easiest social music experience that everybody gets together to do. And you don't necessarily have to know what tools you have because technically everybody can sing even though I, I'm a terrible singer. <laughs> so I would never hold a mic, but I totally love it when everybody in the room is singing together. So I, I think that um, I, I like to think of collaboration more as a social participatory experience of how do we get everybody to be involved and people who never would have thought that they would use a tool. And so maybe even just starting at that very base level and getting them just enjoying um, playing music with someone else and then maybe going, oh, wow, now I want to take to the next step. And now I really want to dig into that experience more and dig into those tools and understand it. So I think it's those initial experiences, how to get people to participate. That's the first step. I guess a collaboration. Yeah, lowering lowering that barrier of entry, sort of that um, that fear that a lot of people have about stepping up and contributing to something is is a big part of it. Uh, you know, and a web forum goes a long way uh, if it's a friendly web forum. But if it's a not so friendly web forum, or if it's you know some sort of um, uh, you know group email list or something where it's very clicky, it's hard for people to step in. Um, and you know, going going back to Bob's question, is this is this really something that um, people are looking for? I think it's a phenomenon that's born of the last five or six years to the point where the tools are so accessible now for somebody to create music, right? And the ability to to just reach into your computer and talk to somebody in Hong Kong or somebody in Tokyo or somebody in Helsinki. Uh, you know, but speaking to the accessibility, I mean the the um, you know b there was a time when cameras were always really really expensive and they were something that only photographers used. But now that a camera is a really really inexpensive thing, everybody's a photographer to some degree. Um, but the difference with music is that music is inherently a collaborative thing. It's inherently a participatory thing. It, it isn't. It, with photography, you take a photo and you did it. With music, there's always an aspect of of um, playing live with other people and making music with other people. So now that now that music is becoming creating music is becoming a mainstream thing because the prices have come down. It used to be you had to pay you know thousands of dollars and fill your living room with a grand piano, and now that's all on your iPad to some degree. Um, you know now that these things are so inexpensive and accessible, and everyone can have a Moog, and everyone can have a 303, and everyone can have a um, turntable it, it's it, it's becoming something that yeah we now need to find people to to participate with 
mm-hmm. and figure out how to get the different products to talk better together yeah, so I mean, that you talk, have your Moog and your other drum machine and you they can't talk in the air yeah. I mean yeah, that's <laughs> the, you know if you're sitting across from somebody you can hear it all together and you don't need a lot of don't necessarily need a lot of, to throw a lot of technology at making them work together I think the biggest challenges right now are like the social aspects and the communication aspects and the and the, um, you because know, there are a lot of collaborative platforms already and users are using them to some degree but um, I think that I think that the, the challenges are more in the communication, the stuff that's happening on your forums, the stuff that SoundCloud's doing, the stuff that Smule's doing to try to get people to understand that we can, we can participate with these musical experiences um, is, is going so a long what, way. So what, what do you think the biggest, the, the communication thing, I mean, there's, there's, is it just the tools are so disparate? I mean, you've got Skype and iChat and like. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I think that's part of it is, is, that's one of the things that, that I think we need to figure out still. I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what the biggest challenge to getting people to uh, sort of now that they've got the IMS twenty on the on the iPad or the the um, Electribe, how do you take it to that level where they're now playing these instruments with with friends or with other people they've met on the internet? How do you get that to happen more often? Because that that can be a really satisfying experience. I, I'm not sure. I don't know what the barriers are. I guess. Yeah, I mean, people have tried this before, you know, but latency is always a problem. Um, you play something and then the person at the other end of the line hears it a quarter of a second later and it just screws up the whole performance and it just doesn't feel natural. Also, a lot of times these tools have to involve, you know, obviously high enough quality audio for it to matter and video usually so you can see each other and you can take cues. Um, but once you, you know, you ramp up the quality of the audio and you add video, then your latency starts to suffer. Um, you, do you think that people are going to, grasp onto these sorts of things where you have you know your video camera on and somebody on your screen and you're sitting there playing with them is that is that the kind of thing that people are into so I um, I think I found that actually people we, you don't necessarily need real time to have collaborations so um, one of Smeal's apps the Glee karaoke app behind it is that you could actually join other people in singing and it's actually all not real time it's really turn based you could sing a song and invite someone then to go and layer their song on top of you and when they're singing they're actually hearing your, you sing so in essence it's creating this experience of singing together but it's not real time it's turn based because uh, understandably it is really difficult to Besides the technical challenges, I think the social challenges of like, hey, let's coordinate a time across all these different time zones when we're together online to to collaborate is really difficult. But this way, it's sort of like inviting someone and then there's like, I'll, I'll join that song when I have time. But the other thing that um, we found and maybe part of the communication is that we made it really open so that anyone could join a song on the globe. So if you find a song, you could kind of just join on top of it. and. And you may not know this person at all. And then it's all of a sudden that you get a notice, you know, hey, so-and-so just joined your song. You're like, whoa, didn't realize that would happen. And when we first did that, um, admittedly, I don't think we educated a user really well, but I think people, <laughs> so there were people going, oh my god, this person joined my song. I don't know how I feel about it yet, but it was kind of cool. And I think like, people um, started realizing that this is really powerful. And, it was, it was, um, and then we found like amazing um, collaborations happening that, that that were unexpected, unplanned, and amazing group songs happen. And it's actually um, what whether they were looking for people or not, um, the songs that have it's it's almost like a I don't know if it's a tipping effect or what it is. Solos are very hard for people to join, but once the songs have more than one person on it, then people start going, oh, okay, I, I could I could join on top of this. I could I could collaborate. And actually, the more and more people join on top of it. 
it matters less and less how well or good of a singer you are. And so people start having more and more fun with that. You get lost and, in the choir. Yeah. And mm -hmm. because there are definitely the people who want to sing solo, they'll sing solo no matter what. So, and so there's, they don't need help. <laughs> the, the people that are going to be uh, a little bit shy initially, I think, being part of a group and, and understanding that and then going, oh, wow, I just sang with someone from the UK and Australia and then someone from Hong Kong joined me. It's an it's amazing experience. And then that gets them. Um, that gets them going. And if I start a song and I don't like what somebody's contributed, can I go in and remove it? So what we did is that initially, um, you, it doesn't. If someone joins your song, it doesn't modify your solo, um, but you can't necessarily modify the group song. Yes. So we definitely have had people. Yeah. We definitely <laughs> have people who are like, I really don't want this song, and we're like, okay, they have to right now manually email us. Like, like I said, this is something that we are we're figuring out what, what it takes and I think part of the communication, what is the social understanding of what's what's acceptable or not or even what's happening. So um, so we didn't we didn't do too much of the management of tools just because initially even I think the manage the management tools are really for the maybe even higher level people who really care. I think for most people, it's like, oh wow, I had I had no idea <laughs> someone wanted to join me in scene. Jeez, <laughs> so so yeah. there's there's like lots of things going on. I mean, the the idea is, do you want to make new tools to allow people to jam together in real time, or do you want to make tools that allow rock musicians to create the next hit album w while they're in all four corners of the earth, or do you want to say what what is the what is the musical experience? now in other words what what kinds of things can we what kinds of things can we do with technology to capture the musical experience in a new way um, and I think that's a lot of what Smule's doing um, but the, these other challenges I think are, are are really important too but the simultaneous jamming thing is always going to be really difficult and it's really difficult to do even if you are all in the same room yeah. Yeah. I mean <laughs> if you're if you're in the same room <laughs> I think that's maybe the first you just said something about yeah. yourself there Don yeah <laughs> If you're if you're if That's you're playing totally true, yeah. if you're playing music with someone and they're five feet away from <laughs> you, you have to watch their hands and anticipate what they're going to do, and and that's part of the fun of it. And if you're ten meters apart, it's even more difficult. If you're twenty meters apart, it's more difficult. You know, like getting this to work over the internet. Yeah, you can make a good demo, but is it? Are you going to capture that musical experience? Are but you going to capture that original thing, that original feeling? And there may be better ways to capture that original feeling. I think that that's again what Smule's trying to do. But isn't one problem also that we're so stuck in the idea that if you want to collaborate, it's basically a band or a virtual band or a spread out band. Someone plays the guitar. But I mean, it, it's much cooler to think, uh, you know, an idea, for instance, can be shared by someone and be picked up by multiple people. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and one sort of few of these takes on this idea could then be picked up by several other mm -hmm. people. And it's just like more like memes spreading across uh, a community or something. Yeah. Um, that that I think is is really important. Well, let's let's talk about bands. Let's talk about no bands live. because even <laughs> even though like everybody with a smartphone or an iPad now has the ability to become a musician with a real instrument, right? I mean, aside from your voice, um, you oftentimes have people who you know want to get together and play together in a room. Uh, with you know somebody's on Ableton Live, somebody's on an iPad, somebody's on a bass. You've got a drummer. Uh, what are the what are the barriers now to make all the hardware talk and make all the hardware work together? Is it still we're relying on our our own human wits and our own sense of timing, 
uh, or I mean, you know, we've got things like um, time clocks, but uh, where where are we there? When the electronic tools, you mean? Uh, yeah, like how how do electronics fit into the live music experience right now? Ian, you know this. Um, well, I actually want to speak. Let me preface this by saying I have a fundamental belief that a very high percentage of people want to participate in music. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know if maybe yeah. by oh, a show of hands I could validate that with a small well, data a set music, here. Music <laughs> <laughs> but I would guesstimate that 99% of you want to participate in music in some fashion. And now with the power of your, your iPhone and your iPad, you have tools at your disposal. So the appropriate question that uh, our brilliant moderator is asking is, well, then how do we sit with our iPhones or whatever tools are available to us and play with each other? And I think that's the threshold that we're currently at, and we haven't really crossed it yet, at least in, in terms of DJ and performance technology. Um, if you put two guys in a room with two Ableton sessions, how can they work together in a meaningful way? And by meaningful, I mean something new and special coming out of that interaction. Um, we were talking earlier about the idea of a, of a, jazz, um, a jazz session. You can put three jazz players together in a session and have something really special come out of it because they've not only mastered their craft, but because they can be flexible, dynamic, play off each other, watch each other's hand movements, sync their voices if there's multiple singers. And so the question is, beyond just MIDI uh, SMPTE clock, how can we really get these electronic devices interacting with each other and collaborating in a, in a, a very musical way? Like instruments, you know. You know, I wonder when, whenever I've seen DJs performing, you've got like two or three guys with laptops or maybe iPads, and everybody's staring down at their computer, and which is Not very different end. than in a you know a ja <laughs> uh, jazz or bluegrass or or you know more acoustic oriented, where you know they play by touch and by sight, and their eyes and ears are connected. And so I wonder if there's actually just like a, a fundamental barrier when you're you know mixing on a visual surface rather than a tactile surface, if that mm -hmm. kind of prohibits. Uh, more interaction because you're so focused on your, you know, your UI and your, your where your fingers are on your iPad that you have to look at that and you can't look at the other performers. I wonder if that's just kind of almost a fundamental barrier with kind of software-based interfaces. You still have to be a musician in order to play with mu play with musicians. Sure. But, I mean, what you're saying, I think, about how in, were, in yeah. order to use in order to use something like Ableton, you have to have your eyes on that screen. It, it, no. I mean, no. Uh, okay. I guess that's, <laughs> that's, that's, a good, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, do you? I mean, well, people, what, people how, how do DJs deal with that? And like, are they working with tactile services? Or oh, absolutely. Or, um, yeah. I design controllers. That's what we do. Um, and I think that's what's really <laughs> magical about the computer is we're not locked into a specific hardware paradigm. Previously, uh, most people played with CD players or turntables and you were locked into this paradigm of, okay, this is what I can do with this hardware. With controllers, what we're doing right now is trying to tackle that exact problem of if we put the laptop over there as far away as possible, I'd almost like to see it shut. What hardware would we need to create that would allow somebody to really feel the music, connect with it, and, and play it much like an instrument and, and not even have to look at the screen? Right, yeah, and, and I... I agree. I think that is kind of one of the things that's happening is that we are moving to more tactile interfaces. I mean, especially uh, in, in the work you're doing. But you know, the iPad can also be a tactile surface that, that you can get to the point where you don't have to look at it, but it still isn't the same as as even just a, a four by four grid of rubber pads. Yeah. To what to what extent has the touch screen over the last couple of years changed the controller space? Um, well, it, it's awesome. It does some things really, really well. It provides immediate feedback and information. Um, one, probably the most important thing about music is, is information. So what's happening now? 
Um, and this touchscreen is great for that. You touch something and, and great app developers can literally change the UI dependent on what you've just touched. And that's really, really powerful. Um, where it's falling down is really, really precise control and, and physical feedback. Mm -hmm. A lot of great instruments have what I call the third element or some kind of fundamental like gravity or, or leverage some fundamental physical aspect to them that you can feel and play and utilize and unfortunately touch screens don't really have that except for maybe the accelerometer in, in an iPad that's that's something that I've noticed uh, collaborating live with um, uh, um, you know playing with people with um, an iPad as my instrument is that I am having to look at the screen more often than having to look, you know, than being able to look up and, and look around the room at what everybody else is doing. But the cool thing with iPad is, I think, uh, that all the software designers had to sort of take a step back and whoa, and, and it was so much easier to build an app so that there could come new sort of interaction types and new types of interfaces and essentially more instruments because the amount of apps is so much higher. Uh, which is great. And then some, some of them might stick and, and you realize, oh, this is a really good interaction form. Mm -hmm. let's, let's build a hardware instrument that sort of, it's almost like a prototyping platform as well. So. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and to your question about, you were hinting about the live, Ableton Live sync problem. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it went that far, you know, that the guys, a couple of guys left um, Ableton, started Bitwig. And one of the core features of Bitwig is to have like a network sync protocol so that is actually running tight <laughs> over and, and sort of the performance and, and jamming aspect is, is key there. Are people adopting this protocol? I mean, it's just their own for their own app. So that's one of the key features of the app now where, you know, one of the key features of Ableton Live was that, you know, be able to play live with the arrangement you had. And then they realized, oh, people actually want to have five computers and sync them up. Doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So they designed the app around that from the start. So big cut it geeking out on protocols, you know, one of the up-and-coming protocols is the AVB standard, which is audio-video bridging for uh, Ethernet. And so one of the, the really cool things about that is it allows, uh, you know, hardware and software manufacturers to uh, reserve bandwidth on a standard Ethernet um, so that you can say, I want 20% of my, uh, my bandwidth to go towards these, you know, these signals. Uh, it guarantees uh, sub-two millisecond latency. And that it provides, I think it's like nanosecond-based clocking, um, and all in a local area network. I mean, of course, if you start going uh, WAN, but it's, you know, a lot of companies are starting to build AVB uh, components, and which will it'll make interesting for new uh, products for kind of a local collaboration inside a, a studio or inside a person's house. If you buy a router that's got a, it's AVB compliant, and uh, you can start doing much more accurate uh, synchronization so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of changes that and with the you know with the, the bitwig guys um, it's kind of interesting that they they're you know pushing their own standard i don't know much about that but uh versus uh getting on the avb platform some of your comments about uh touch screens and and having to look down at them and then and then the also idea the, the other advantage of a touch screen is it's dynamic and it can change and so it's, that's kind of the problem is that is that it changes and you have to look at it to remember where all the controls are again. Or did did the info screen come up? Did I get a, a text message? Did you get a phone call? <laughs> so, so notification. Like all, yeah, all those things are all those things. You have are, four four new Instagram likes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Someone just likes solo here. Someone just liked the track you're playing. There's <laughs> <laughs> a real design problem. But uh, the the <laughs> I think some of the some of the ways around that is like 
you can you can design. I think you could design an instrument for the iPad that, that is really designed to be a performance instrument, and the controls don't move, and it stays locked down, and maybe you run it in airplane mode. Uh, but so I think you could kind of get around it. Um, but I, that thing is that people want they want it to reconfigure. They want to have all these different features, and they want these different things. So it's like the strengths are its weaknesses in some in some cases. Mm. Well, just to reiterate your point, it's still you still need to be a musician. It still takes practice just because it's a new tool. So with any tool or with any new instrument, once you get practice, once you get good at it, you could start jamming. So it does take a level of skill just because it's now this really accessible interface doesn't mean you're an instant musician. And so I, I do think that you know people will get really good like with Ableton. They don't have to now always look at the screen and that's what a good professional DJ is. It doesn't skip that step. This doesn't skip the hard work that still goes into becoming a musician, but hopefully it gets more people to experience what it might be like and open that up and make them want to do more. I think that's... Yeah, but yeah. the hard work goes into getting this software and a controller and figuring out what it should do and bringing content in and mapping it yeah. and practicing and mm -hmm. realizing you should have done something else. And I know that that's one of the problems that, that Ian is, is trying to, to solve by making things more tightly mapped. Uh, yeah, it's, that's a big, it seems to be a big trend right now in, in musical instruments is combining the surfaces with the software and, and sort of making it so that the map has already been professionally designed and, and, and a lot of care has been into how those two things interact with each other. And that, that makes for more of what looks like an instrument instead of an editor where you're moving things around with your mouse, something that you actually put your fingers on and play, but it makes modern sounds or, or different sounds than what like a piano or, or violin would make. I would argue that a big part of collaboration right now in the world that we live in today is the audience and that when you do something people need to listen to it and react to it in order for it to come to life discuss <laughs> <laughs> totally agree um, I mean I think I mean, the audience, the feedback is, 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 is amazingly important. I mean, it's, it's also just encouragement. Uh, and I think one of the, the tools that we found is, uh, this may sound silly, but adding commenting was incredibly important to allow people to comment and actually making it not anonymous commenting because the anonymous commenting tends to create um, negative feedback whereas uh, having even a handle or something. But it's getting even that first uh, comment that someone says, hey, that's good, or like even a big love that really people go, oh, wow, I had no idea. And we found that people were incredibly shy to share their performances with their friends and network, but they had no problem sharing with strangers. They want, they actually are craving feedback from strangers and wanting to get that. Um, and then maybe they'll share out to their friends more. So initially, it's, it's much more about finding community users that would give them feedback. Um, I think in terms of music, we touched on it earlier, the most important thing is feedback, either tactile or, or audible. And I think this is the single most important um, vote in favor of removing or not looking at a screen. Because if you've got a screen in front of you, I've just noticed this through countless performances, you're looking at that and you're totally disconnected from the audience. Yeah. So if you're really just touching, I, I try, I play a lot of solos. And if I really look at the audience, like I'm looking at you now while I'm playing the solo, I get more connected with it. I see the reaction, and, and we sort of have this moment together that's really special. And if I'm locked in, uh, you know, looking at the iPad going like this, everyone could have just stood still and looked at me like, oh my God, that sounds terrible. And I would have no idea. <laughs> so 
I think it's really, really important that we continue to create great hardware that allows us to collaborate with the audience um, and each other. Uh, should I talk about uh, our product? <laughs> uh, yes, actually, <laughs> yes, this, this is something. No, yes. but it it could be really cool. Like someone, you know, there's so many guitar wankers, for instance, or great guitarists, or uh, playing, and and if they actually record, yeah, <laughs> if they actually record and you know share their stuff, people will eventually come and say like, oh, I really like this, uh, and which will then lead to them having a lot of fun and creating more stuff. And eventually someone coming by, oh, I like your guitar style. I actually need a guitarist. Can you play on, on my track, for instance? Mm -hmm. And then collaboration can happen. So, of course, comments, comments and feedback is a key part for all music makers. Also, I think for Discovery, it, uh, it plays a really huge part, too. You know, the best reggae DJ in the world might be some kid in northern, northern Saskatchewan. And, uh, you know, we would never know about it. Un unless he posted some of his mixes to, uh, you know, to a website and started sending them around, and yeah, yeah, and that's what's cool because if if you want to start a band, you have the problem that you have to go and sort of recruit these people and try to have them not take over the band or whatever. Uh, but if you can have a, um, a drummer who lives in northern Norway, <laughs> could be really cool. Yeah, it almost gets into kind of a. Uh, rating systems and, and uh, points and things like that if you think about like Reddit or Stack Overflow where people can kind of get a reputation and mm. you know rated and you know how do that you know if you're trying to find you know a, a bandmate or something like you know are they going to really go well with your band you know from an interpersonal uh, uh, system especially when you're remote and you, you may never meet this person you know, how do you get that information out and right you get the opportunity to become a big wig also, you know, you can do things, you can gather feedback and, you know, you can, you can boast that. I mean, you, we all have the experience of buying something off of eBay from somebody with like zero seller feedback. You would never do that, right? Would you necessarily feel comfortable collaborating with somebody who has zero collaborator, collaboration feedback? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that, that's something I just expect to see, you know, more people having a profile as something. So, you know, oh, the, the top five solo guitarists on SoundCloud. Mm -hmm. Hire them almost. Oh yeah, that's something that is definitely going to happen. I think. I think it's also we found um, just a small percentage of users are actually they don't necessarily we call them sort of the matchmakers. They're the ones that actually go, oh, you should. And they're in the community. They're like they found great singers. They're they're actually trying to put the two people together to sing together. Whereas they themselves are are not necessarily the ones to create. So. I don't know if these are the, the mash makers, the producers, or whoever, they're actually the ones that The mash makers. The mash makers, yeah. <laughs> that actually oh, are, they're, they're just, tr they're, like, they're just like listening and discovering great people and putting them together, and that's actually a really cool thing that we saw happen. Well, in the spirit of collaborating with the audience, let's collaborate with the audience. Do we have a microphone? All right, great. Is there anyone who has a question? That um, <laughs> combining the internet and live performance is just impossible and will be impossible for many years because it's. I think I think we can let the video conferencing people solve it in a way. It's like it's not really. In other words, the the, the process of of connecting people over the internet and getting really low latency video and really low latency audio. 
those those video conferencing guys are working really hard on it, and maybe eventually they'll get the latency down, and then musicians can use it. I was just going to add, it takes 10 milliseconds to perceive a difference in timing uh, among musicians or humans, mm. and musicians don't like anything above that. And it takes 50 milliseconds for just for the electrical signal to reach from Europe to the US, for example. Five zero or? Yeah, five zero. Yeah. And you were talking about a quarter of a second, which is more normal for these latencies. So mm. it's just impossible. It's gonna, it could be a different thing where you're dealing with it, uh, these differences and doing something other than what you've done up to now with music. And maybe people can do that. But it'll be something different. You cannot have live feedback I, I tend many, to, many years. I tend to, I tend to agree. I mean, it, it's, it's, you're going to miss the, you can do it if you practice a piece and you each have your, your, your metronome, you get together, you can then play the piece, but it, it isn't, you're missing that musical experience. You're missing that connection with the other person to some degree. I mean, I don't, I don't use FaceTime and I don't use um, video conferencing now because there are just a couple of little things that are off. The person's eyes are there, it's a little bit of latency or something doesn't work right. And it just, it makes the whole experience kind of in that uncanny valley. And I think that 50 milliseconds, yeah, I think it really sort of, detracts to the point where it's almost like not worth not worth trying it right now yeah for, for live performance that's definitely true but for that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't collaborate and you you can't work together I mean whether you're sending proxy files over I mean it's very of course important because there's you know bands that where the you know half the band is in the UK and half the bands in Australia and they're working yeah. together and what I like to say is a near real time where they're you know in the studios at the same time, but they're working on different sections of the song and pushing pieces mm. up to Dropbox or to some private server. And so, yeah, I think, but that, yeah, for I think that works. You know, an interesting, you know, real-time performance would be, you know, DJ, I mean, I don't know if this is possible or people are doing it, but, you know, DJs DJing and streaming that data across the net, and then you could be getting feedback via, you know, instant message or other types of chat. And so you could actually change what you're doing based on that feedback, though it's not exactly in real time. You wouldn't need that, you know, Am I hearing the drummer in another place play, but I'm getting feedback from my audience? I mean, I think that's definitely possible. Um, there's another question across the aisle, and then we'll come back to you, sir. Um, I'm James Taylor from Artist Works. We're the biggest provider of online music schools and music academies. So a lot of the things that you've spoken about where you're talking about collaboration in relation to performance is exactly the same stuff that we have to deal with in terms of collaboration on learning, on learning an instrument. So you talked about the latency issue and that's exactly the thing that we quickly decided about two years ago to move away from any form of kind of Skype based or instant messaging learning and take that out and actually one of the interesting things that happens with that is it allows you to scale much quicker as well because many of the artists that teach on our thing whether it's DJ Kubert teaching scratching online or Billy Cobham teaching drums jazz drumming online what allows you to do is allows you to move away from that artist being have to have to teach that student or groups of students in a particular time, a particular place. So you can suddenly scale and teach students in 58 countries. The other thing about the, the, the Skypes and latency issues around collaboration is that you, you miss out on one of the most fundamental parts of, of learning online where if, if you're answering a question to that person there, the other 100 people in this room internalize information at the same time. And Skype is still fundamentally one-to-one, -one, and even Google Hangouts still one to four or five. So one of the things that we found that was really powerful is you can have that one-to-one-to-many. -one -to so if a student is 
uploading a video or on their their iPad of them playing some guitar wank I think it was the was a guitar <laughs> you know you can mention before the and, then you, and, the, and then you have Paul Gilbert you know rock guitar player answering that student but he's answering that student and in, in the same time that is available for the rest of the students to, to learn from that's incredibly powerful and a, a second impact upon that you're talking about we do the bluegrass and you're talking about bluegrass music and how these musicians learn and know about each other one of the strange effects which was never planned which has happened is suddenly all these bluegrass guys learning on the Academy of Bluegrass, for example, and suddenly a fiddle player who lives in Des Moines suddenly finds the banjo player that also lives in Des Moines and doesn't know anything about, but they're learning together online. And so suddenly they, they meet up and form bands. So it's happening a lot within, within ed tech and within learning. It's these same issues you're talking about into the performance is already going on. Sort of like the art school critique method where one student puts their piece up and the instructor gives them feedback and everybody else in yeah. the room. And the students give them feedback, mm. which is the other amazing thing. Because suddenly, I think it was Jeannie mentioned, when you take some, when someone is not anonymous yeah. in a community, if, it's, if this is a smaller community focused around whether it's DJing or drumming or whatever it is, and suddenly the student is coming saying, I never thought about doing that arrangement that way. I never thought about approaching it in that, that way. And it really helps bond uh, a community together. We had a question, this gentleman right here in the third row. Uh, I'm Gene Zilberstein. I'm from a company called Orange in Portland, Oregon. Um, and we also train DJs uh, for dance. Um, just want to kind of suggest the idea that there's a continuum in this time thing. There's real time and there's non-real time. So non-real time is production. Real time is, you know, DJing with knobs. Time gives you the time to think and create uh, quality. Um, so you could be adjusting something three minutes before it plays out where everybody can look at the audience. You can adjust the same thing three days before it plays out. And it's just a um, continuum that's worth, you know, thinking about like a DJ pre-queue stuff. So if you're in a pre-queuing realm, a lot of things are possible. Yeah, so in, in, a, in a live music context, a lot of people will tell you that, you know, improvising live and trying to come up with ideas you're taking a really big chance because you're just you're out there with your ass hanging out in right. front of a crowd of people yes. um so if you have the opportunity to spend a day coming up with that awesome beat you're going to lay down on the song obviously it's going to be it's going to be better right um right but you can also well, collaborate three minutes before maybe. it plays out <laughs> uh, sure um and and it's just there there's a continuum of of immediacy versus the quality that you can, you can create, the amount of people you can get involved in it. Mm -hmm. And it's that continuum that's very cool. But I, um, and you talked about the latency, of course, you know, it's, you have to have very low latency if you're a drummer, for instance, but if you're using an app like Ableton Live, I mean, one bar is often enough to make the next change. It's some semi-real time, uh, I think. But the coolest, I mean, go check out the Beardy Man or Tim Exile or those guys making basically the most progressive live slash creation performances, I think. Mm. Highly recommended. You, making use of electronics um, in a nice way. Sorry. We had, um, we had another question in the back here. Hi, um, I work at one of those video conferencing companies. Uh, we have a <laughs> we have an API, and uh, I was uh, the question really just just start out is how much do you guys really want video? In that um, we're trying to solve all these problems, and it's really for conversations and talking. And when you get something like 100 to 200 milliseconds in a conversation, it's it's really not that bad. You can have a decent conversation, and with music collaboration and with people, and we do see people starting to use it. 
Um, and again, it's an API, so you can slip it right in your app. And it doesn't have to be one-to-one. -one. It can be broadcasted video conversations to thousands of people. But with 100 or 200 milliseconds latency, it's fine for conversations that are broadcasted. It's not so great for bands. And we have these visions of people having classes or jamming together and broadcasting to audiences and having you be able to see your audience um, while you're playing. And we're still a long way there. And I really do think it is about five years to get to that point when you can have that kind of latency. So for me, the strategic question for companies like us is, do we really to say, yes, people really want this, and we should get to solving that latency problem, and we will? Or you know, it's kind of good where it is right now for conversations. It's only a small subset of people in the music collaboration space that wants this maybe. And even then, maybe it's not a high priority feature. Let's go make other things better, like have the eyes, for example, go to the right place. <laughs> yes, so, I love that one. That's my favorite. That's yeah. my favorite video conferencing problem. Yeah. People say that a lot. Yeah. Where do I Yo. look? Who am I looking at? Yeah. Where do, where do I look? Um, I don't think any of us are holding our breath, personally. Uh, I mean, because, you know, we've been at this, we've all, everybody in the room has been at this a very long time, and we've all seen, you know, a lot of uh, sort of bad, hey, jam together on the web apps. And um, some of them are much better than others. But uh, I, I, for one, am not waiting for the, the killer video conferencing app. I'm more than happy just to do turn-based collaboration and then get in a room with somebody when I really want to play. I, yeah, I, mean, so, I, I was going to say, I think the, the higher you move up the food chain in music production, the more important that becomes. Because as studios start working, I mean, if you, I was working on a project, we were connecting uh, Skywalker Ranch with uh, UCSD in real time, um, where we were actually, we had a fiber connection between them. It was like, you know, insane amounts of money that were put into the demo. But we had a mixer, a video editor in, in UCSD and an audio editor in, at Skywalker and they were working together in real time. And one of the things that we really ran into is all the weird problems of like, how do you mute the talkback mic uh, <laughs> so that you don't get uh, feedback? And so, you know, working with the, the software companies and hardware companies to enable the high-end guys, you know, people in LA where, you know, they literally, the producer will not drive across town because he doesn't want to get stuck in traffic, but he needs to review the, the mix that's going on. And so how can the guy who's doing the mix, uh, mix, let the producer hear it and get feedback so they can redo the mix uh, so they don't have to print and you know send CDs or wave files around so I think uh, you know as as you move up the food chain uh, more and more important that uh, real-time video and audio uh, becomes because it's you know so expensive to move uh, you know the musicians the directors the producers the equipment and you know studios just want to work together you know the guys who have you know the you know the whatever killer console in one studio they want to they want to generate more revenue and uh, you know in in some cases, it's it's sad in that you know things are getting outsourced to India and China for uh, movie and music production, and you know people want to be able to review this stuff in real time, and so it, it becomes you know not like a, a performance uh, thing; it's more about uh, you know review and feedback, um, you know there, what they call review and approval. Yeah, uh, I mean, there, there's there's an experience like of music, what the, the musical experience of playing something looking at somebody else who you're making music with, looking at the audience that's responding to that, that experience is like a really special thing and, and trying to capture it with video conferencing would be really great. It would be a really, really great thing if we could if we could do it. The latency breaks down that experience a little bit. And so what I think what Smule's doing and, and, and um, what, some of the things that we think a lot about it, how can we take that experience, that musical experience, and make it, make it more convenient for people to participate in and make it more modern and, and so on. So we sort of like say, well, what tricks can we pull to sort of like take that experience that, that is, is so incredible and, and 
and and move it because the partially because the video conferencing thing is just going to be so difficult for so long kind of like as you're pointing out we're just, out of time all right uh, i just want to add i think actually video is a very very high order um the problem we're trying to solve just to get people to even share and they're incredibly incredibly shy they don't even want to share with their friends much less share their face yet <laughs> and so i think video is definitely a higher order thanks everybody thanks really interesting stuff yeah. you guys are doing